Hello? 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 Come on, damn it. Let's see if we got any sound now. Okay. Now I'm talking, so can you hear me? If you can hear me, just heard Annie. All right, Sasquatch, you heard me. You got me in. So I'm back on air. Is that what you're telling me, guys? Please tell me that that's what we got. I hope so. I really do hope so. Okay, can you hear me? Just tell me a quick yes or no inside there. Okay, guys, tell me, please tell me that you can hear me now. Pretty please. Cherry on top. Okay. Obviously, no more sound. Yes, Annie's back. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, Annie is back. Oh, good Lord, what a nightmare. I have no idea what happened. Oh, good Lord, guys. I'm so sorry about that. But it was one hell of a way to start the show. And... Hey, Lightfoot. Yeah, Are you yeah. with me, Lighty? Okay. Uh, yeah, I heard you. I heard you say... All right, finally. All right. Jesus. Somehow or other, the settings got changed in my computer... So I had to go back, redo the settings, reboot the computer, because obviously once I applied it, it wasn't applying. And the only way to get it to become active again is to reboot the whole damn computer. All right. I appreciate your help. Thanks, guys, and thanks for hanging out and staying with me. <laughs> if anything can go wrong today, it's going to go wrong today. Today's, today's not Friday the 13th, is it? Oh, please tell me no. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, I uh, want to thank everyone for, you know, just <laughs> hanging out with me over here. I have no idea what went wrong or how it went wrong, uh, but it kicked me out of the uh, uh, expletive, my, my video camera. It kicked me out of everything. And I'm afraid to put the video back up, you know, because I'm afraid it's going to mess everything else back up again. But anyway, thank you for hanging out there. And Yanni, now say yes, dear. Yes, dear. We're back on the air. All right. Uh, Just in time to call our first guest in onto the line. 
but I want to thank everyone for, you know, just hanging out there and being there with us. Uh, we're going to have a great lineup. John O'Connor, author of Postgate, Julio Gonzalez, who helped write the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Kathy Burnett, author of Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, Being Black and Conservative in America, and our Heritage Guest of the Week, Melanie Israel. So, all right, guys, now that I know that I am back, um, we will get a little something covering so I can make this phone call out. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> everything else is going to go wrong. So what I'm going to do is play a little bit of Big Don, uh, which will give me enough time to call our guest in and uh, and get the show rolling on the road here. So sit back and relax. Mm. Every morning all time, you can see him arrive. He stood six foot three and weighed 235, kind of broad at the shoulder and fast with the lip. And everybody knew you didn't give no shit to Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. the dust and the smoke of this Democrat hell walked a giant of a man that the Patriots knew well, grabbed a sagging economy, let out with the groan, and like the mighty oak tree, just stood there alone, big dog. I'm talking about our man, Donald Trump, he's the president now, and all you chumps can just settle down and stay in your safe space. We're about to make America a better place for big dog. Big dog. problems to be solved and the Democrats shouted, the Russians are involved, brought out their special counsel with Robert Mueller. Too bad the wall just got ten feet taller with Big Don. Well, they will lie and cheat and steal and threaten and pander to illegals before our veterans, but we're over these liberals loading our country in a hearse. It's about time to put America first with Big Don. Big Don. Big You're here listening to Set the Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star, Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest today, <laughs> the Radio Ticket D, along with my co-host, my husband, uh, Yanni. And we have our first victim up in on the line after the disaster that started the show off. want to welcome back to the show, John O'Connor. Good afternoon, John, and how are you today? I hope you're having a better day than I am. Well- no, I was just going to say welcome, and uh, hope your disaster has uh, is tailing off now, and you're back uh, on your feet. 
<laughs> oh, man. You know, sometimes these computers update themselves and they don't tell you until it's too late when you find things aren't working. <laughs> yeah, isn't that like, great? Oh, they no. have a mind of their own. They have a mind of their own, and they do things to you, and, uh, you know, they don't tell you about it. Oh, yeah. You mean like changing votes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's another one. That's another one. Well, that takes a little bit of finagling. That takes some good IT people out there uh, to change votes. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. So we've got a real uh, real good time on our hands with the election, don't we, Ann? Oh, that we do. And every day it gets zanier and zanier. And it's like even when between the time I walked away from the TV to start warming up my equipment, things were changing minute by minute. And it's hard to keep track. How does anyone even keep track of everything going on out there? Well, you can't. And that's because our system is not built for this. Uh, the reason you have election supervisors around that are supposed to be monitoring this, and we're supposed to be all doing this on one day uh, with people looking at us and checking us out, and that's, of course, we've gone completely away from that. The system can't uh, control it. And then when you try to point out all the problems, that itself is a real task because, by very definition, the system was not being regulated the right way in the first place. And so now you go out and, and everywhere you look, there's an anecdote. It's not as though, uh, you know, you have to try very hard to find irregularities. The more people you talk to, the more you realize this thing is really screwed up. And that's because once again, we had a historically significant election here, one hard, you know, the, the, into a divided country. And yet, and yet it's one in which no one really was monitoring the election. Forty uh, percent of the vote in historic high was all by mail-in, much of it unregulated, unlike normal absentee balloting. And interestingly, Ann, before the election, and I read all the sites I can, including many respectable, the respectable left-leaning sites, and they all said the same thing that the right-leaning sites said, which is that you will have a shooting up you will have a skyrocketing of rejections because you are now having uh, first-time voters in urban areas, primarily is going to account for that 40% rise. They are eight times more likely than a person 65 years and older to have a rejected ballot. We'd already had some primaries pre-COVID in which the rejection rates, even for normal turnout, were ridiculously high, and then we had some post-COVID elections where the uh, rejection rate was very, very high. And now, all of a sudden, when we're in the presidential contest and there are many more voters than even in the primaries, all of a sudden, time, uh, time, the New York Times reports, well, gee, isn't this surprising? The rejection rate has plummeted. Why? Who knew? Now, why, how would that happen? So you have an anomaly there. And uh, then out come these anecdotes, which explain the anomaly, and they show a, a likely cause of the plummeting rejection rates. Now, the other thing you get is statistically in several of these states, I think you have four dumps that they say are so statistically important, two of them in uh, Detroit, I think, where the graph goes at a rate you would think is 
times one way or the other. Then all of a sudden, there's this spike, this spike that looks like El Capitan that goes straight up, where all of a sudden he goes from a loser to a winner. Now you get the anecdotes that come in daily, daily, daily. Everyone's new, which explains how after they shut down the voting and all these spikes came uh, between, oh, I don't know. I think they they came between one o'clock in the morning and six in the morning. And now we have explanations for these, at least at least anecdotes, which would explain it and which appear to part at least partially explain it. And to a person with good inference would explain it totally. So now, this is, but, but our system, is our judicial system equipped to handle it? I, I, I've said our election system isn't equipped to handle this. Now we get to a judicial system, which is going to be overwhelmed by this barrage of stuff. They're used to having nice, clean legal issues that they nice and cleanly decide on their pieces of paper that they read smart they try hard uh you know and all that but it's very hard you just dropped out courts are not trial you're dropping in and out your your your, uh voice is dropping in and out here i don't know if you're walking around Uh, yes uh, sorry about that uh sorry my phone is uh is uh uh, bugging me here and i just turned off the bug so i apologize for that but anyway annie that's you you get my drift here. Uh, we're in an unprecedented situation where neither the electoral election system nor the judicial system is capable of handling this. Well, you also and, have uh, an electorate out there that doesn't understand the system, whether it's through due a lack of education or just trying to influence it, letting the media call the election rather than the system calling the election. Well, that's another thing we've got is, and this this complicates things, is we have a media that's all too willing to uh, pull partisan politics and to be a member of the team with jer- with a jersey on its back and uh, scoff at people who are exercising legitimate rights to contest the election. Uh, I was interviewed back during the 2000 election by a San Francisco station, which and I probably was the only Republican they could find. And I said, Al Gore has every right. He has every right to contest this. Now, I may not like his arguments, but I would defend to the death his right to contest this. This is democracy. And yet all of a sudden, that same media, which applauded out, oh, yes, that's right. Oh, boy, we loved what O'Connor said. Uh, Well, you know something? Maybe Trump has a right to do it, too. And maybe if the media made an effort to explain what his theory was, they wouldn't scoff at it. in a way that to a to a lawyer is ignorant. Um, so uh, the press, it, it really what you're saying is, is it boils down to the press, the media, and I agree with that because remember when the ju- when the courts are looking at whether they're going to overturn this election, they've got one eye out. Uh, lady justice is supposed to be blindfolded, but I think these lady justices on the court will be looking out toward the media and what will happen to their legitimacy in the eyes of the world as distorted through the prism of a bad media. And I think even if they thought in their heart of hearts, in their best judgment, that these irregularities meant that uh, the, the election was just 
two um, irregular, at least some electoral votes, which would probably throw it into the House, even if they thought that was the right remedy, I doubt that they would have the, uh, you know, really, it, it, it's going to take courage to to overturn this thing. Uh, and I say overturn it, not overturn it, but just basically throw out results of certain states, which are so badly infected that you can't rely on the results, that, that would push the electoral votes below 270 and throw this thing into the House. So I doubt that they would have the cast iron reproductive glands that would be required to overturn uh, what the press, the media is saying is the clear will of the people. This is clearly over. It's clear that Biden's won. Well, you know, let's see. I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, uh, not necessarily so, but I doubt that they're going to have a deal with it. I think they'll just punt it and say, there's not enough proof. As a trial lawyer, if I found, uh, you know, my bookkeeper, I found 10 checks that my bookkeeper had written to herself and couldn't uh, audit the others, I couldn't tell, but I was uh, missing 100000 that had been embezzled, and I knew that she embezzled 15000 I think one can infer that she embezzled all $100,000, and there's no other cause for the $100,000 missing. People make those inferences all the time in trials where you prove things by a preponderance of the evidence. I think by a preponderance of the evidence, not absolute certainty, but more likely than not, this election has had such substantial irregularities that in certain states the vote should not count. Now, that's an easy thing to do in most cases that come before the court, but and that's usually after a trial, after a jury or a judge sitting as a finder of fact uh, looks at it. I don't think the system with the court sitting as a court without a jury, without a long fact-finding process, without depositions, et cetera, et cetera, is capable of making those same kinds of judgments. I think they should. If I were sitting there, uh, sitting sort of half as a juror and half as a judge, uh, as a finder of fact and a finder of the law, I would say, yeah, there's enough here to say this thing stinks. I'm not going to say who won. I can't say who won can't say who won in Georgia. can't say who won in Michigan or Wisconsin. I'm overturning these states. It looks like uh, Nevada might have had some real troubles, too. Uh, so I'm going to overturn these, uh, you know, the votes here. Um, I, like I say, uh, I, I would take uh, uh, whatever money I have in my uh, checking account right now and bet it that Biden's going to get seated. And I think I'd be pretty comfortable that I'd win that bet. Uh, even though I, well, you know, won't do it. So, Anne, I don't you know. know. We've got, got a, we do a lot of stuff here. <laughs> we do. We do have a heck of a lot of stuff going on, you know. And uh, it, it, it it makes the 2000 election, the Gore v. Bush one, look like child's play, you know. Because I remember watching the hanging chads as they turned the ballots this way and that way, but they had a physical ballot to look at. In many cases, there's no paper trail. So you have to rely on what they claim the machine actually reads. And again, that comes into question because now uh, I believe Sidney Powell is suing Dominion uh, over their machines. And, you know, back in 2012, when the show was 
in its infancy. I was screaming, why are we using voting machines that were manufactured outside of the United States and obviously have some connection to George Soros at that time? And we didn't learn our right. lesson. Right. That's a full eight right. years ago. Right, exactly. And so, you know, they, I think they used it for a purpose. Uh, they used these uh, uh, things for a purpose. And um, and unfortunately, what everything, what has happened here is in, in a certain way, these, this election was inauditable. Uh, unlike uh, Florida, where we all felt, gee, it looks like, you know, we, we looked at every dimple and hanging chad that there was and it gave everybody a good sense that we have a democracy uh, that works and 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 interestingly and if you recall back then the original charge was not dimpled or hanging chads the original charge was there's some systemic uh exclusion of jewish voters i think in uh might have been in the boca raton fort, fort lauderdale area i'm not sure exactly somewhere there uh, and, and of course, it turned out not to be true, and that was quickly abandoned. And that theory, but rather than laughing it out of, or the, the laughing off the whole uh, challenge by Gore, people said, "Okay, let's take this seriously. If he wants to now do it, get into a vote counting, that that's maybe we should do that." And uh, and the Republicans, I think, controlled the state house. They went along with it. Secretary of State went along with it. So. Uh, now we have this, and like you say, why we're using these voting machines, and in such a way that everything is inauditable. And what do we do in the states where you're supposed to have, and I think in all the states you're supposed to have a double envelope system, where you do not have a quote naked ballot just mailed in, you have a, a an envelope covering that ballot to to make sure there's no tampering. And yet, apparently. In these voting centers, they just took the ballot out of the envelope and threw the envelope away. Now, did every ballot have an envelope? Most likely not. In Philadelphia in 2019 primaries, and this is before the big uh, spike in voting from COVID, 6% of the votes in Philadelphia, mail-in votes, were, were, were on naked ballots and were rejected. Six percent of the mail-in ballots, and a, uh, and that makes sense because again, younger urban voters tend to screw up. Well, uh, you know, wh- where are those rejection rates now? Where are the envelopes? Can we check? Nope, nope. Envelopes have been thrown away. So, I, you know, it's just frustrating. Is that there clearly was an intent to make sure that this thing was inauditable. So once you steal the election, if you're stealing it, and okay, you can't tell. I mean, in a way, you, you can't really tell what the, it looks like it was, some people were stealing it. It looks that way. Can you tell with certainty? No, because <laughs> criminals do a good job of covering their tracks. If it's uh, with malice aforethought, you cover your tracks. No one admits to fraud. You have to prove fraud, and the way you prove fraud in a courtroom is by circumstantial evidence. There's a jury instruction. You can't get in the minds of the fraudulent party. you just got to look at all the circumstances and determine whether there's been fraudulent intent. And I think there's plenty of evidence here. There's plenty of evidence that uh, would make for a rich trial, but that's not the standard that's going to be used, the normal standard that would – you know, convict you or or me, Ann, uh, but would uh, allow this election to stand. And I got to say this: I got to have some sympathy for the court 
Because if you're a judge and you say, okay, I'm going to throw this into the House, I'm going to invalidate three states' uh, electoral votes, can you imagine how many storefronts are going to get uh, destroyed, how many fires are going to destroy uh, uh, the, the, the inner cities? And that's, of course, because they're going to be fed by the media that this is an illegal uh, overthrow, an illegal uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, of, of the election. By, they're going to frame it that way. All hell's going to break loose. So even if the judges think that this was a dirty election, and they can say that, well, I find there are some substantial problems, but I can't say they're enough to overturn the vote. Well, that's probably where, how they'll punt. And, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of it is by intimidation, uh, by, you know, by who Antifa or whatever it is, and all these other groups, and, and also by the media that gives covering fire for them. So if you're a court, you don't have your own army, you don't have your own police force, you just got ropes and, you know, public confidence in your legitimacy, it's really a tough call for you to to do this, to make this decision. Uh, and I feel sorry for courts that uh, they get this thrown in their laps. The system doesn't isn't really meant to accommodate. And one of the reasons they can't make decisions is because the election system got out of control in the first place. And so now they're asked, now you throw all these anomalies in their lap. They're, they don't like it. And uh, we have a system here where we just didn't have a democracy. That's all. This democracy is third world, a banana republic. Um, and there are 75 million people that are seeing it in real time and don't like it. They're going to be very angry. Uh, unlike uh, uh some of the other side, some of the progressives, they're not going to go burn down storefronts, be very angry. And, uh, and I think there's increasing anger out there. Well, do you think it's going to give rise to a new version of the Tea Party? Yes, yes. Uh, and that's what's interesting to me is what it will be. And I think it will be, and of course the media will try to deride it, but I think there's going to be what the form it will take will be very interesting. I think we all have to pitch in and try to form it. There will be an amorphous surge of anger and upset and criticism at what's happened here. I would like to channel it into constructive, uh, a constructive body where People can say, "Hey, these people have principles. They will they will go along with a principled solution to our problems, but they're not going to roll over. They are not going to roll over." And here are 70 million people feeling this way, or 80 million. It's I suspect it's 90 million people that feel that way. And I think you're right. It's going to be, and hopefully, will be something um, more lasting than the Tea Party. I like the Tea Party. A lot of the stuff they said, uh, but just sort of a uh, almost, and really, I, it's the idea of what a party should be. Really, is like really f- forming a new version of the Republican or conservative side of the fence. I say conservative. It's really traditional liberalism that we're all into. We're all into freedom. That's traditional liberalism as the founding fathers' liberalism, not liberalism as defined by the progressives. But founding father liberalism is speech, fair elections, rule of law. Uh, those things, and I think that's very much center to the country. There are many moderate Democrats who feel the same way. They don't like this stuff, 
And I think when political parties were founded, the, the founding fathers were very worried about political parties because they might be partisan factions. And they had parties anyway. But Edmund Burke, the great English statesman, who was upset about the French Revolution, had one of the first political parties over in England. They called them the Rockingham Whigs. But what he said was the duty of political parties and the good of political parties is they put aside the partisan emotions of the moment, and they have firm principles that will endure from time to time to time. And I think we have at this point maybe one of the goods to come out of this is 80, 90 million people saying, you know something, we've got to stick together and make sure we're acting in a fashion with the rule of law, everybody's equal, equal the application of the law, uh, control of our elections, uh, and so forth. Uh, and I think you might get out of it a political party that is something other than a fundraising vehicle or, uh, you know, whatever, but is really committed to certain principles. And I think we're getting there. I think as, as I talk around to folks like you, the people that really are, you're on the pulse. You, 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 you talk to people. And across the country, I talk to people that are responsible arbiters of what people are saying. And every person from Texas to Boston to California is saying the same thing. They're hearing the same thing. And so it gives me some heart that we will get out of this some long-term agreement on principles. We stick together and we get things uh, set right. I hope so, because we're facing now four years of uh, a presidency of Biden, which he's already just trying to reinvent Obama using wax museum characters from it. And so it's, it's going to be, a, it's, you know, John Kerry, is John Kerry still alive? I think so. You know, yeah, Lurch, Lurch is still alive and he wants to be the climate change czar. Gee, isn't he the one that spends more time in Europe and he's got something like a $12 million mansion he's constantly flying back and forth to? Yeah, he'll make a great well, climate yeah. change czar. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah he's, he's trading in those climate credits. Right, he's got. He flies on a private plane, goes out on yachts, which burn about get about half a mile a gallon, uh, you know, and all that stuff. He's he's uh, uh, so he's oh yeah, and of course he's a brilliant guy. He will tell you that he's a brilliant guy. Uh, now the fact that he finished at the bottom of his class in college and law school, and you know, it doesn't make any difference. He's a brilliant guy because he'll tell you he's brilliant. So, no, a guy like that who feel, falls for any phony deal that comes along, his idea of Secretary of State was, gee, let's make Iran stronger. Let's give Iran uh, hegemony in the Middle East, make them so strong, gosh, gosh, we've got to help them. Because if we make them strong, maybe they'll do a deal with us. And, oh, to help them get strong, let's bring in Russia in the Middle East. And why don't we give a port to Russia in the Middle East? And, and Russia has a port on the Mediterranean now. They've bucked up Syria because that helps Iran. So we have Iran uh, enriching plutonium like nobody's business on their road to um, nuclear weapons. 
We have Russia in there solidifying its hold in the Middle East. We have Syria bucked up. And because of John Kerry, we allowed uh, Putin to just march into Crimea uh, and, and say, guys, where can I set up tents here? Uh, we're taking over. And by the way, let's take over Donbass too. And let's make sure that uh, Ukraine is our, is our vassal, which ha- all of that happened with John Kerry. Um, and, and, and now he's back. <laughs> now that he's going to do the same thing with the climate that he did for our national security. That's cool. Uh, so this is a disaster in slow motion, and uh, uh, what he's going to do, what kind of odd – and then, of course, Biden has no force of – he has no energy. I feel sorry for the guy. He's just sitting there. He's just going to be pelted by people one way and the other, and whoever is the latest to pick up his hand and sign a document is the one that's in power. And so who knows what bizarre stuff uh, – we're going to be getting into, uh, for instance, uh, climate change stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I get ready for $6 a gallon gas. If, if I think what they see what's coming and automobiles that cost too much and, you know, we're, we'll just do this stupid stuff like we did before. We'll join the Paris climate accord again. And even the Obama people on the Paris climate accord said, well, if you carry this out, as written, it really won't do anything. It will maybe perhaps delay by a couple of years, and something that would have happened in 2097 won't now happen until uh, 2100. Uh, but it's an example. And, of course, it will encourage uh, pollution in India and China, which aren't part of the deal. But maybe they'll see how cool we are, and they'll follow our example. Now, if you have any street sense you will see that India and China will say, you mean you guys are stupid enough to put the brakes on yourself and you're not putting the brakes on us? Our business is going to increase in India and China, and we're going to pollute all we want because now all these all these businesses coming our way from uh, from the United States and from Europe. And so now what we're doing is we're really encouraging pollution because of the Paris Climate Accords because it makes sense yeah. if you're manufacturing a widget here, in fairly clean circumstances, and now you make it impossible to manufacture that widget, then you say, okay, I'll go over to China. It'll be cheaper anyway. And then they can pollute to their heart's content. All the plastic in the Yangtze and Yellow Rivers can wash out into the ocean and then form that big plastic pile we have out there. And, of course, people can feel like, oh, I'm a real because I was in favor of the Paris Climate Accord. Well, actually, if you're in favor of the Paris Climate Accord, you're in favor of pollution. But nobody will say that. If you're in favor of the Iran nuclear deal, you're in, you're in favor of a nuclear war, really, is what you are. And you're in favor of Russia having hegemony along with Iran in that part of the world. But you would never be smart enough to say that. So we have a, a mindless group of people coming in, and there appears to be nobody there that is going to mind the store. Kamala Harris is. You know, I don't know what you call her. Uh, Queen she's, Camilla. You know. She's Queen Camilla. Yeah, Queen that's right. Camilla. That's right. Queen Camilla. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, she's a local girl here. I don't want to badmouth her personally at all. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what experience she has to run the country. Uh, 
she was an okay DA. I got to say she was okay for San Francisco. That is, and it doesn't take you much to be a DA in San Francisco. So she was okay. I, you know, I didn't mind her given San Francisco's mores. She was actually more on the conservative side. Uh, (laughs) You know, if you can say that about a progressive city. So, you know, but uh, am I going to, do I want my fate? Do I want my grandchildren's fate to be determined by Kamala? No, I don't think so. But she may be the brightest of the lot. At least she's under 75, alive and alert. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know. And you tell me, this is a this is a weird deal we got. Who's who's running the show here? You know, that's just the whole question. And now the latest that came out of Joe Biden's mouth was, "If I ever disagree with Camilla, I'll resign." And it's like. You heard a tremendous groan go across the nation because we already know that about six months into his presidency, Kamala Harris is going to become the president. So, you know, Queen Kamala is going to ascend to the throne. That's a pretty scary thought. Um, You know, Obama was very inexperienced. Uh, he had a pretty good mind. He has a pretty good mind. I don't think it's as good as everybody says it is. He never releases his grades. I don't think he was an A student, but he was an okay student at good schools. Okay, he had he had a mind. Uh, I think he was way too socialistic. He was a community organizer. I'm not sure Kamala is as smart as Obama, and I think she has the same political instincts, which are very much toward the progressive side, and that's who she listened to. She's not a genius, and she's not exceptional, and uh, she's going to be controlling the country. Um, So who knows what can happen? Now let's think about this. Now we have China. Now we're talking about China. You know, China is really a big threat to us in many ways. And now we have a guy who's president whose son is still involved in an investment uh, fund, uh, where the Chinese could pull it at any point, it's probably worth, I mean, the fund is probably worth the value of it to Hunter Biden. And apparently, according to that one email, Joe gets half of his uh, booty from it. Uh, that fund is worth a lot. But look, if if they decide, if the Chinese Bank of China says, you know something, we don't like what you're doing to us. We're going to pull all the money from this investment fund. Um, well, there goes $30 million a year for Hunter. Uh, and which may, maybe 15 of it is for Joe. Uh, I don't know. It seems that way from that one email from Hunter to his daughter. But um, but wh- whether or not Biden personally gets anything from it or not versus his son, does he have enough uh, cojones to stand up to the Chinese? I, I, I don't think so. And China is very much of a strategic threat. Now, does he have any stuff to stand up to Putin? I I would doubt that. I would doubt that as well. Uh, what's going to happen with Iran? Now we're going to go back and allow Iran to, uh, you know, get a nuclear weapon. Now it must be now what in six years? Is that okay? Five years now, about this point, that we're going to Iran's going to get the the right under the former deal. So we have right, a world John? here. That, yeah. I'm good. I have to apologize because uh, I do have my next guest in on the line. Did you want to hang sure. out, or do you have to? probably run here and uh i've got to go somewhere but listen uh thank you for listening to my ranting and raving here but i hope uh, 
I hope something good comes out of this, huh? Well, we'll have to have you back on real soon. People can find you by going to a website that is postgatebook.com and pick up your book, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. And I was able to say that without messing it up. John O'Connor, thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Take care. See you now. You too. All right. All right, John O'Connor, check him out over at uh, postgatebook.com. And we have our next victim in on the line. want to welcome a newcomer to the show, Julio Gonzalez. You see him a lot up on uh, Fox and Newsmax and everything else. Uh, welcome aboard, uh, Julio. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be on your show. Oh, it is our pleasure. And I have to apologize. Normally I have the video uh streaming and I'd be up on Facebook but I had a massive computer failure just going on air so I had to cut that feed out so we're just we're on audio only at this point so I apologize for that but this is a crazy world that we are now living in uh, I every single day when I hear more and more of the information unraveling about this election I never thought I would see this much nuttiness in my lifetime. Yeah, it's it's just been pure craziness, hasn't it? It is. And now we're looking at Biden picking his appointments. And oh my goodness, are we going to be in for it? Um, he's uh, got, what did he got? Uh, I can't even pronounce her name. Neera Tandon, who was a loyalist to Clinton. Uh, she's going to be leading the budget office. You know, I don't even think she's got any education in accounting, much less, you know, economics. What is her what is her qualifications? Listen, we've been so fortunate, right, to have a president that was a very, you know, brilliant business owner and applied those business economics to our economy and our tax law and our tariffs. So, you know, these people want to come in and remove the uh over overturn the tax reform that we got accomplished. They want to take away the tariffs we put in place to have fair trade. You know, they want to roll back all the regulations and uh, bring those back in. They want to make it impossible for us. And they want to make it ultra difficult for us to recover from this pandemic when we had a great economy going into the pandemic, probably the only reason we survived the pandemic, and now come out of it to increase our taxes both individually, corporately, so that we lose more companies and move uh, the jobs overseas, and then have the the tariffs taken away so that we uh, make the uh, friendships with China again and have them bring back their products and and everything. It's just going to be terrible, and this is what they want to do. They want to take away the public land so that we can't do fossil fuel, right? They only want to support the green initiative, and they want to support – high, deep regulation, higher taxes. You know, I don't know how we uh, survive all this as business owners. It's going to be interesting because, you know, Trump brought our economy up so well. Unemployment now in the pandemic has started to climb back down to 3.5%, which it was before the pandemic. Uh, Once it becomes a a Biden-Harris administration, all of that is going to go out the window. We're going to see a complete reversal and going to Jimmy Carter type of economics. 
um, with 29% interest rates. And what about regulations that Trump has rolled back? How many of those are going to get reinstated and become odious to businesses? Well, you know, I, I remember back to those Jimmy Carter days, and that's really the, the the fear I have, right? Remember how horrible our country was there. We No one could get a job. You remember the uh, interest rates were up to 30%, right? And uh, all the prices went way up on everything, and we just had no economy. And, and that's staring us right in the face, right? Just like you said, I mean, here it comes back. I mean, they want to remove all the the regulations that – Trump did such a great job of clearing, and they want to put in – we want to remove all the tariffs. They want to increase the income tax rates. They want to, you know, basically uh, distribute wealth from people that are employing people to people that want handouts, handouts with the uh, the tax rates. And uh, I, I, I fear that for you and I who were back then, you know, around the Carter administration, that that, that could be what we're looking at. Yeah, people don't realize if if we look back to that time, uh, that was where you had alternate days of the week when you could buy gas. You couldn't just simply pull up to any gas station any day of the week. Depending upon what your license plate was, you either go on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. You know, and people forget about those days. Uh, and as you said, the interest rates. I remember uh, it would be all right. Under Jimmy Carter, uh, I had graduated college, and I took out a loan to buy into my first business. And the interest rate when I walked into that bank, with good credit rating, was 29.1% on that loan mm-hmm. to purchase into that business. Uh, we're looking at interest rates on mortgages around 2.7%. And you multiply what you're paying in interest 10 times? People are not going to understand the ramifications of these policies he's putting in place. And, oh, that's nice. Tax the rich. You know, like AOC's sweatshirt says on her website, tax the rich. But without those rich people, there would not be the jobs, the manufacturing, the service industries. And those taxes they're paying gets rolled down into your consumer products and services. In the end, everyday person pays those taxes. Well, you're right. Listen, no poor person ever created a job, right? And, uh, you know, and when you're in business, the business is partners with the government. And Donald Trump made that a, a great partnership, right, with the uh, removing the regulations, giving us income tax rates where we could save money and invest in our employees and our companies. Those things were so important. Like you said, the lowest unemployment rates and and vital, and, and think about it. They want to remove all the public lands so that we don't have fuel, and now we have to go back to being dependent on, you know, foreign fuel, right? They want to remove all those things. We worked so hard the last four years to be self-dependent on our own fuel sources and do it cleanly as well, but now removing all that, right? And we'll go back to those Carter days when not only was it alternative days, but remember how long those lines were to get gas? is several miles. Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the big concern for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and people right now are so accustomed to government handout. When the taxes start drying up and the revenue does not go to the federal government because jobs are going overseas, people will shutter their businesses rather than having to deal with these regulations and taxes. 
where are those revenues going to come from to fuel the government to fuel these social welfare programs? Yeah, where, where, yeah, where will they come from? And you see this right just on a state level, right? Our businesses aren't staying in California where they've raised taxes. They're not staying in New York. They're leaving. And so if we think about it in that micro level and we think about it now globally, are companies here, the, the big fortune companies, going to stay here? at those higher tax rates? No, we just finally got them back, and now they're going to leave. I mean, like, they have a choice. Many, like, they have a choice in what state they're in, and they're leaving the states, right? They're leaving Illinois. They're leaving New Jersey. They're leaving Pennsylvania to go to places where there's no state income tax, and it's a competitive issue, and you're right. Those jobs are going to go away. Yeah, as a matter of fact, my own sister left New York this past month. Uh, She's now down in the Georgia area, why? Because New York just has become that bad. And now you have Gavin Newsom uh, and the mayor of L.A. Lock everything down. Close everything. You're, you're coming into the Christmas holiday season, and I'm wondering if the holiday season is what prompting them, because they're afraid people might start mingling and socializing and talking to each other rather than having a screen between them and they might have interactions and understand that hey we can survive this pandemic it's not as bad as people are making out to yeah be cautious yeah wear your mask and wash your hands and do the smart stuff but once we start talking face to face exchanging information they're afraid they are really afraid i honestly believe the coming christmas holiday they want to shut it down so we don't have those social interactions with friends and family you know, I'm so fortunate to live in Florida where we've been open. We never closed down. And uh, what has that allowed us to do? It's allowed the businesses to survive, for employment to, you know, be open and, and vibrant and strong. And, you know, we just do it safely. And we don't have any different numbers than anywhere else in the country. We have less, less deaths than most states in the country. So, you know, for us, it works. And then, you know, we have offices in New York and throughout the other California and they're shut down. People don't even realize that here in Florida, we've been open and we've allowed businesses to survive. I mean, you know, what's the cost of the economic, you know, the economic cost of closing down businesses and then increasing the taxes because no one's paying taxes. The businesses aren't paying taxes because they're not open. And so New York has to raise the taxes even more and then people leave, right? So just like your family left. No, absolutely. You know, and the ramifications of all these things, you know, once these neighborhoods are shuttered, it is decades, it's generations before these neighborhoods ever recover, if they do. You know, uh, having patrolled the streets of New York City uh, back in the mid-80s, I was in neighborhoods that had been decimated in the riots of the 60s, and they still had not been recovered. Buildings were still boarded up. If once you destroy the neighborhood, there's a good chance it doesn't recover. And that alone is an economic hole in the state, county, local budgets. I, I don't know how Manhattan comes back. I mean, 90% unoccupancy, restaurants shut down, no protection, no security. I mean, how does that economy ever come back? They still re- remain closed and the taxes are high, the property taxes are going up. 
they have to find other ways, and they keep saying they're going to tax the rich there in New York to make up with it, and the rich are leaving. So I don't know how it comes back. That's if if it comes back. Manhattan may become a huge park. (laughs) You know, raise the buildings and give it back to the Indians. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I don't know what else they do. And, you know, we also have now between mainstream media and social networks, they've become strange bedmates uh, with the progressives in this whole thing. You know, the three of them seem to be working in tandem just to keep everything shuttered. And it's heavily in progressive areas, in those urban areas. You know, no question about it. But they, you know, they really hurt themselves, didn't they, right? Because now their listenership and viewership is way down, right? Because it's just not interesting anymore. Biden's not interesting. He's not Trump. You know, he doesn't create any viewership attention. And uh, really, it kind of backfired on him. Yeah. Anytime he opens his mouth, it's like, uh, wow, really? Yeah, not The latest cover, one right? was, if he ever disagrees with Camilla, he would resign. And you heard like, the shoe drop. It's like, uh-oh, exactly. wait a minute, what's next? Oh, you mean Queen Camilla as president? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the coverage is like his rallies, right? No one's there. Yeah. Now, you know, if Biden does become president and looks, unfortunately, pretty strong, um, I'm still optimistic that uh, common sense and the good Lord would uh, intervene. But, you know, you had on um, a Forbes magazine an article you wrote about 14 pro strategies to brace your business. But for individuals, what would you tell an individual do to brace for the coming economic downturn? That's right. I mean, look, you know, there's so many programs available to individuals and small businesses to help them. We have a lot of local assistance. So I think that, one, checking out those local resources, you know, the states received a lot of COVID money, and that COVID money is sitting in the cities and the counties available to individuals for rent, for starting a business, for individual uh, payment programs and things of that nature. So there's a lot of money that's untapped at the city and state levels that are available to individuals that, you know, are sitting there unclaimed. So, you know, that that's one place I would start. And, you know, there's going to be um, winners and losers, right, in the uh, industries. And so getting yourself ready for a job with the companies and learning skills that the, the teaching out there and the skill programs that are available for free now in the communities that can help you go get a job with a tech company, right, where the jobs are growing and those companies are thriving, things of that nature. I think those are two really important things. Well, what about, you know, looking at your expenses and your cash flow? In today's day and age, everyone uses plastic. Now, they don't even take the plastic out of their, their purse or wallet anymore. They use it some sort of a touch thing on their smart device. People aren't using cash anymore, and they don't think in cash flow ways. You're right. And listen, that's really important that you say this because we got to look at cash flow. we got to get away from the credit cards, right? Because the thing that is guaranteed under a Biden administration is that those credit card rates are going to go up to 19, 20% even higher, right? And all of a sudden, 
this payment is going to double, triple just on interest alone, and that is a snowballing effect for these individuals that they'll never get out of, right? So you got to be prepared because that's certain to come, and you're going to make less money if your tax rates are going to go up. So those things are certain prices are going to go up on the consumables. So now more than ever, you got to look at your cash flow, get away from the credit cards, get away from debt, and just be prepared to uh, be tighter and leaner and uh, you live off of what you have. Absolutely. You know, it's, we had, uh, was it Hurricane Matthew that came through one year and we lost power for almost a week, and we're survivalists, and we had the generators and everything going. But I went to put, you know, additional gas in the gas cans, and I go into the gas station, and there was no power. So, you know, the pumps were on emergency, so, yeah, you can use the pumps, but you couldn't process, you know, if you were using a debit card. I go over to the cashier to give them cash, and this is, I'm putting $20 in. Here's a $20 bill. Oh, we can't take cash. You have to use a credit card. That blew my mind. That utterly yeah, blew my is. mind. I'm handing her a $20 bill. I'm using only $20 just for the gas cans. Why couldn't? No, no, you have to use a credit card. It would only take a credit card. That, that, that the craziest thing. But you see less and less people using cash. Yeah, but your lesson is an important one. And uh, we have to have, you know, people going back to cash. I mean, like we said, right, income tax rates are going to go up, interest rates are going to go up, prices are going to go up, and you really have to be well-managed personally in terms of your consumption and getting back to cash. And believe me, in 2004, 2005 here in Florida when we got hit by three consecutive hurricanes, I remember, and, and and not having the generators like you did, that uh, power was out for 30 days, no gas, no groceries, no water. Um, But that's how we have to be thinking, right? Because, you know, these are the kind of things that are the lessons. The pandemic is, you know, just another natural disaster that we're dealing with. And so you have to be prepared in those terms. And also, I'm going to hype a product that, you know, I endorse my Patriot Food just go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, click on My Patriot Food, and get yourself three months' supply of food. All you need is a little warm water, and you have yourself a nutritious, low-sodium meal. I had to plug that. <laughs> I really had to. I love people that. Start stockpiling. I can't wait to go online and look at that. Oh, yeah. There's a link on my webpage, which is the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, and, you know, get yourself a supply. Um, matter of fact, I've got a resupply because when I went to check with the last storm coming in, uh, my husband had the box of it in the garage, and I didn't secure it properly. So our little rodent kind of like ate about um, two weeks' worth of meals. So i got to resupply myself. <laughs> Make sure if you do buy it. Secure it where rodents can't get into it. it wasn't too bright, Ann. It, I didn't say it, it was. I was a Mensa. I didn't say it was Mensa. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, with what everything we see Joe Biden doing, we're going to see a moving of a lot of businesses back over to India and China. And there's a story that's been going around, and Congress has been trying to pass this legislation that would restrict. Uh, products being imported from China, 
from a certain region in China that is made by slave labor. Now, we hear about Black Lives Matter and reparations and you who are bad because of slavery here in the United States. But slavery still exists in China and in Africa. And we are getting products made by that slave labor, and they're showing up in Walmart and everywhere else. Nike is one of the companies that does this, among others. Why are, why are we not talking more about this? Because the, the products going back over are coming back at a price, well, oh, that's great. You know, let me buy it because it's cheaper, made in China. Who cares? They should care. They should care, right? And we shouldn't be buying products from slave labor, and we can't you know, compete with that, right? That's why President Trump passed 232 tariffs to uh, to make sure that we weren't buying from slave labor camps. And uh, and those were really good policies to uh, create fair trade and eliminate the, uh, the purchase and consumption of, you know, assets that come from slave labor camps in uh, Africa and China. So good advice there. I mean, but we know this administration, they're friends with China. They uh, want to have strong relationships with China. They know that for them, that's a big payday, you know, personally and individually for them and their families, right? We've seen that already. Well, yeah, as we, our previous guest, John O'Connor, was talking about the Biden family having direct interest in companies in China, and half of what Hunter earns goes to Daddy Dearest. So they are directly profiting off of the fruits of slave labor, and yet no one is talking about that. Now, there was a uh, media research center study recently that said they had asked people in these um, uh, states right now that the, the election's being contested, and I just had a major brain fart here. Um, they asked people in those states that voted for Biden that were you aware of these eight scandals going on with the uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and his family. And 84% said had they known of at least one out of those eight, they would not have voted for Biden. Now, that's a scary thought, isn't that? It's, it's a scary thought. I mean, clearly, you know, I was aware of those issues. And, uh, you know, I tried to do my best like you have done a great job of making people aware. But, you know, it's tough when there's not many uh, media outlet resources, you know, that you know, share this information, and uh, the media is dominated by the liberal party, and and so obviously that just doesn't get to the masses. No, and you had mentioned uh, the open public land uh, that we do uh, go after oil and gas on them. Uh, Gas is at its all-time low. Here in South Carolina, when I go to get it, the pump says $1.79, but I use something called Gas Buddy, so I pay $0.20 cents less a gallon. So I pay $1.59 to fill up my big, beautiful SUV. Uh, and then people are going, wait a minute, you shouldn't be using cars that go on gas. You should have these electric cars, these hybrid cars, and this and that. You shouldn't be driving a gas automobile. And I hear this all the time. And I kind of like laugh at them. And I ask them one question. I says, name me one thing that you interact with outside of the fresh air outdoor that is not involved with a petroleum product, that is not made or powered by a petroleum product. I mean, including your smart device, your shampoo, the garments you're wearing, 
and no one can answer that question. They don't realize how much manufacturing and other products are require petroleum products. True. And listen, I mean, the most important thing you're saying here is that no matter, you know, the electric car or not, that's the reality is 99% of all cars are fuel-based, fossil-based um, cars and all of the products that you mentioned. And we don't want to be dependent on foreign countries, right? Because you saw what happened when we were dependent on foreign countries. The prices go way up, right? We have, and then we are at, we're in prison, you know, to them. And uh, we're relying on them. And that's what we removed by doing it, opening up our public lands and lessening regulation. But we did so carefully, right? So that, you know, the unintended consequences and not having it here or that you're relying on someone else. And that's the real, you know, issue here, I think, is that now we're going to have to, uh, you know, bend over to these other countries across the uh, globe to, uh, you know, be relying on their products. And I would think that the pandemic would be one good reason why we shouldn't be relying on China for anything. I mean, first off, they bought up all the PPEs, the personal protection equipment, then they turned around and tried to resell us the stuff or manufacture it for us. You know, we, they were also manufacturing parts for our military hardware. And they found out that all of a sudden we were having all these problems. Say, shall I say the F-35s? Once we brought all yeah. that military manufacturing back into the United States, those problems were solved, including software problems, because we were buying software from the Chinese. And, oh, who, who wants the Chinese to be controlling our 5G network. You know, it's bad enough they're already doing facial recognition on their own people. Imagine what they would be doing to us. You know, there's, there's a great danger by allowing China to become an insidious, incestuous relationship with the people of the United States and our government. Well, we did a, a great job the last four years getting away from their dependency. And you're right, they held us hostage on the PPE they uh, sent us the uh, the virus to the world and, uh, you know, made us reliant on them again, right? And we did such a good job of moving away from that, moving away from slave labor that creates the uh, diseases and everything that comes from it, right? They have no regulation. They have no FDA there. and uh, But we would just buy cheap product and allow them to come in so that, you know, the uh, Liberal Party here can benefit them and their families. It's a disaster. It is. It is a disaster in the making. And let's just hope that the election gets turned over and we do see another four more years of President Donald J. Trump. Julio, where can people find you? Oh, yeah. On Twitter, I'm at Tax Reform Expert. And, uh, you know, please uh, follow me on Twitter and I'll make sure every day to give you some good daily tax updates to help you, uh, your businesses and your family. Oh, we'd love to have you back on anytime you'd like to come, sir. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. All right. All right. Take care and God bless. All right. God Julio bless. Gonzalez, check him out. You see him a lot up on Fox News and uh, Newsmax and others. So check out his website and uh, keep up with him. All right. Um, we're going to have to take a short break here, Yanni, uh, while I try to call in our next guest. And um, let's get a little bit of Mona Fishman. And talking about those uh, election machines and everything um, that are 
controlled and by George Soros. <laughs> they trace back to him. This is her song, Smells Like Soros. Love that girl. Love her. 
All right. Uh, we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News. Up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm the hostess with the mostest, the Radio Chickadee, along with my co-host, my hubby, right now, until Curtis gets a little bit better, Yanni. And the next victim up in the batter box, returning, always love to have this young lady with us, Kathy Barnett. She is the author of Nothing to Lose everything to gain being black and conservative in America. She was also recently a candidate for U.S. Congress in the 4th District of Pennsylvania. Oh, Lord, a state that's a toss-up right now, Pennsylvania. Kathy, the world has gone crazy, but welcome aboard. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back on. Oh, it is our pleasure, our pleasure. And I'm sorry that, you know, you you didn't win against the incumbent, but I know there's several lawsuits. Are any of them going to affect the outcome of your race? Well, allow me to say that I am still a candidate uh, for Congress. I have not conceded because of all of the irregularities. I was the first um, in the state of Pennsylvania and maybe even the nation to file uh, the first federal lawsuit uh, uh, the day of the election, uh, they did not give me my uh, election board did not give me and my campaign access to to walk through the room where the mail-in ballots were being held until two days before the election. And uh, and even then, when we walked in, we started taking pictures of you know thousands of uh, mail-in ballots sitting in the open hall uh, for anyone to go up and touch. Uh, already being pre-canvassed, which, of course, is against the law. Um, And so, you know, so we started the process very early on, right? Um, After that, we've been a part of a couple of other lawsuits as well. Um, Act 77, which uh, 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 Congressman Mike Kelly is a part of, uh, has now been placed on the docket um, at the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court, by the grace of God, will be hearing that as well. Oh, fantastic. So we still may be knowing Congressman, Congresswoman Barnett, right? You know, I mean, from your lips to God's ears, I mean, it's like this is such an unprecedented time. I remember being on uh, Fox News at the time and telling them that based on, you know, the illegal actions of the uh, PA Supreme Court, along with our Secretary of State, Kathy Bukvar, and, of course, our governor, uh, Wolf, that, uh, you know, extending the election beyond November 3rd to three days out, signatures not having to match, post dates not having to, you know, be clearly visible, that all of these irregularities, I said it even before, um, is going to have America looking like um, our elections looking a whole lot like Afghanistan with the Democratic Party looking very much like the Taliban. And here we are five weeks later and um, and not knowing conclusively who the president is and having a number of other elections, um, you know, just being on the bubble. It's a very sad commentary of where we are right now. It is. It is. And, you know, I was, I, I've started to watch more Newsmax than anything else. And they had on some of the whistleblowers. And when I looked at the manner in which these people were being treated, I was horrified. Absolutely yeah. horrified. These were people that were supposed to be poll watchers. They were people that were poll workers. Uh, one was a trucker that he had pulled his car, his truck into the parking lot, and next thing he knows, 
the the whole cargo of ballots was stolen. You know, how how do you steal a, a tractor trailer? Now, how do you steal the trailer off of a tractor a semi? You know, it, I mean, it, I mean, it, it is like not just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like even even with what came out yesterday, the um, uh, with the Georgia legislature um, executive uh, uh, legislative hearing um, and and watching the video of uh, the four individuals pulling suitcases from under tables and beginning to count the ballots after sending most people home because of a, a, a pseudo uh, water water line break. I mean, even just looking at that, you would think it would be conclusive. But one of the things I'm telling, you know, uh, Republicans and, and, and others is that we have to stop waiting for Democrats to, to, um, cons- to affirm us. They're not going to pat us on the head and say, yeah, good job, you caught us. We need to continue to move forward with this thing and recognize that there are more of us who think the way we think than it is of them. Uh, Joe Biden did not get 80 million votes. But but nonetheless, we are, you know, what, 74 million, not including the ones that are showing up on USB drives uncounted, but let's just say at a minimum for a million of us, you can't just flick us to the side. You can't just pretend we don't exist. And so uh, we, on our side of the aisle, we need to become unrelenting. We cannot stick our head in the sand, and we cannot get weary in what it is that we're doing. Absolutely. And, you know, as I was looking at some of the testimony that was going on before uh, the legislature yesterday in Georgia, you know, that one woman that was an immigrant, she she came here to the United States the legal hard way. And she so loved our country that she felt she had to give something back by being a poll worker. And when she saw that something wasn't going the way that she was taught it was supposed to be going, this is the instructions, this is what the law is, this is what we require, and she saw it being violated blatantly, and she spoke up. She said she was t- treated as if she was a criminal. This woman was in tears. You know, and, and I don't understand you know, the harassment, uh, the vitriol, the violence that is being perpetrated against us because all we want to do is see an equal, fair, open election. Well, we need to get over that because we need to recognize the people we are dealing with. These are some very despicable people. They are not like the rest of us, right? And we saw that during the summer uh, with the rioting and the looting and the jeering and the dragging people's children into the middle of the street and stomping on their head until they go unconscious. Uh, Businesses having to board up uh, their, their establishment days before the election. They didn't board up their establishment because they were concerned about people on our side of the aisle. And so we need to get real clear about the people we are contending with and stop pretending that these are reasonable, rational, American-loving individuals. They are not. They are very determined, and they will, they will tear our country apart. Look at this scheme that is unfolding. I mean, I mean, who would have ever thought that we will have fellow Americans, right, whether you're Republican, Democrat, you want your guy to win versus the other guy, who would have thought that they would be pulling out in some concerted um, effort suitcases from under um, uh, tables uh, and pulling them out and starting to count? Who would have thought that, I mean, 
we don't have the depth of, of depravity within us to understand fully and to grasp fully why these people would be so nasty, why they would, you know, subvert our Constitution in the manner in which they did. And yet, that's who they are. We need to get real clear about that and start pushing back against that. Absolutely. And then demand the law be a be followed through and they are prosecuted for the crime that they are committing because these are crimes i mean if you threaten me if you show up on my property and threaten to do harm that is a crime and we need to have law enforcement to work with us to prevent this and bring back calmness law and order back to our nation but when you saw that one woman in she couldn't even get a job because of the intimidation she'd been getting. Yeah. Yeah. And let me tell you, I mean, and there is no incentive for the left to stop their ridiculous, unlawful behavior. Look at even uh, Linda, uh, Linda Kearns, one of the latest victims uh, to fall prey to the, um, you know, to the Lincoln Project and to the left. You know, Linda Kearns was uh, representing the president, the most powerful man in the world, and she just stopped providing legal services to him because one, because a member of the law firm uh, that is um, working with Joe Biden's team called her and left a very threatening message. Like, who would have ever thought that lawyers would be, um, you know, engaged in this, in this, um, you know, the effort of intimidation and of, you know, threatening to cancel people in this cancel culture or to ruin their livelihood. And she was under such duress um, that she decided to no longer provide uh, legal services to the most powerful man in the world, which should tell all of us that, 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 that Democrats have now become um, a direct threat to our nation, when you no longer want to support the, the, the most powerful person in the world because of the intimidation of the left, that should begin to give all of us a wake-up call of what's going on. Absolutely, absolutely. And we have to stop the madness and say, you know, hey, this is not what it is to be an American. We respect the rule of law. And it we have to take our nation back. There's no other way to look at it. In a way, this is some form of a civil war, unfortunately. It is. Thank you. Thank you. Because I hear most people, most patriots saying, you know, I'm afraid that our nation is going to devolve into a civil war. Newsflash. We have been engaged in a civil war for the past four years at a minimum. I mean, we can extend it beyond that. But at a minimum, we've been engaged in a civil war um, brought on chiefly by the left. They've been canceling people, um, causing people to lose their, uh, their, their ability to make a living, uh, intimidating people, threatening people. I mean, like they have been engaged and, you know, I mean, now they're creating a register apparently with our names on it. I mean, they have been very determined and focused. It's the rest of us. And, And in order to, to understand the battle that we're in, we're going to have to get real clear about who our enemy is and stop with, you know, um, all the kumbaya, all the, you know, Jesus is love and let's be tolerant and let's be loving and let's take the high road and realize that we're engaged in a battle. Look at what they have, 
Look at how far they have brought our nation down to her knees. We're not about to enter into a constitutional crisis. We're in a constitutional crisis facilitated by the media that is silencing people, um, uh, Democrats uh, and others who are just pretending like there's nothing to see here. You know, the media is a big culprit in this one. And amazingly, Biden is picking appointments out of, oh, wait a minute, CNN, MSNBC, people that really don't have um, any qualifications to do the jobs. This near attendant, who's going to be the director of the OMB, the Office of Budget Management, you know, she's a talking head on TV and has absolutely no accounting experience. And then I'm just looking at some of these appointments and I'm going, holy cow. First off, it's a rehash of the Obama White House and Obama staff. Yes, but leaning exactly. heavily on CNN and MSNBC, give me a break. Well, that's exactly what Obama did. Uh, uh, he, he packed his... his um, administration with either people who were in media or are married to people or have close family relationships with people in the media so that they, he could get favorable uh, coverage. Um, it's going to be, I mean, and, and in fact, many of the people that, um, that I've seen thus far that Biden is appointing are coming out of the Obama administration and not even the, you know, the better ones, right? It's the, it's the, it's the low hanging fruit ones, right? So he's not even attracting the better ones. If that's such a thing in the Obama administration, he's, you know, getting the ones that were at the bottom basement of the, um, of the poll, but that's the culture in which we're living in. And so we have to be very defiant. This race is not over, and the media does not get to call it. Democrats do not get to call it. Even Neil Cavuto and others on Fox News, they don't get to call it. Um, there are a number of irregularities. You know, people call it irregularities, looking a whole lot like fraud. Um, but there are a number of questionable, questionable behavior that should cause that that gives us more than the preponderance of evidence to be able to look at this and say, there's something wrong here. You know, and also the media is perpetuating the myth that simply because they call the race, the race is over. And they're not saying, they're not being honest with the public saying, wait a minute, no, 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 it has to be certified. Then it goes to the electoral college and then it goes to the house and then to the government, the GSA. And until then, only then, do we have a president-elect. But no, 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 they perpetuate the myth that simply because they said so, it must be. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, it's just really crazy. Again, we are in un- uncharted waters as far as um, I can ascertain. Um, and we have a number of very legitimate claims. I mean, just in my election alone, looking at the irregularities. I don't even have to look at, you know, what has occurred to the president. Specifically, I can look at what is in our election alone and be able to point out all of these irregularities that if we fixed all of them and addressed all of them, I am now the confirmed winner. Um, And so, again, you can't just say, okay, it's all done, you know, and you have hundreds hundreds if not thousands of affidavits at this point and, you know, very credentialed experts coming forward and saying, you know, I saw this, I witnessed that. Statistically, this is impossible. 
Now we have video footage of Democrats pulling out uh, bin suitcases filled with ballots and counting them after a ruse uh, that allowed people to that allowed them to be able to push observers out of the room. I mean, all of these things should give anyone who has a, an ounce of honesty and integrity within themselves great pause. And the fact that they are still trying to pretend that you know we can explain this away, that there's nothing to see here, should again give all of us great pause and and make us truly unrelenting. Well, that's the whole thing. They think that if, if they push back at us, we're going to turn around and go, oh, all right, we'll be quiet, good little people and sit in the corner and whatever you say is fine. And thank God there are people like you out there, Kathy, willing to fight, willing to let people know you're still out there and you're fighting for what is right. And they, they expect us to, like, good little Good little Republicans, just follow the herd and sit down and shut up. Thank God you're not doing that. And they, yeah, well, you know, and, and they accept that for really good reasons because that's how we've trained them. I'm a firm believer that we train people how to treat us. And we, on our side of the aisle, have trained the other side of the aisle that if they tell us to shut up or if they ridicule us or if they marginalize us or if they pick one of us out of the out of the herd and make an example of, the rest of us will just buckle, stick our head back in the sand, and just kind of walk around grumbling uh, to one another. And the other side has taught us that if, if they don't get what they want, they're going to come out, they're going to uh, demonstrate, they're going to riot, they're going to lose, they're going to, you know, people are going to end up dying um, as they drag folks' kids into the middle of the street. They're going to stand in front of your house and tell you to give it to them because you're white and privileged and they just want it back. Um, we, we've seen what they do, and they have trained us that if they threaten to do it again, uh, then we will buckle and be quiet. Um, and so there's a reason why everyone is behaving, not everyone, but, you know, but that their expectation is for us to just shut up and go somewhere and sit down. It's because we train them that that's what we would generally do. And that's why, I mean, this me, me pushing back as well as the president, because uh, neither of us need any of this harassment. Um, but the reason why we're pushing back is because I think both of us realize that what is going on today is much bigger than my race and it's much bigger than his race. I believe uh, the state of our, the survival of our republic um, is at hand. And either we find that backbone we've been missing for, uh, for a very long time or we just continue to allow um, our nation to go its natural course. You know, um, I think also because you being black and conservative, they figure they can intimidate you easier uh, because you're supposed to, because you're black, you're only supposed to vote for Biden. You have to do the group thing. You, because of the color of your skin, that determines who you vote for. And I don't think they expected individuals such as you be an individual and think independently. I know. Go figure, right? Um, I did a little rant on Facebook yesterday. I went to go pick up one of my Uggs. I dropped it off in January of this year uh, to get fixed, to get something fixed on it. Um, but because of, you know, COVID, the rioting, the looting, the hot weather, I didn't think about it until right now. It's cold and now my feet are cold. So I go in 
And by the grace of God, my boot is sitting right there. So I'm talking to the guy, and he begins to talk about Donald Trump. And he looks at me and says, well, I don't need to tell you how awful he is. I don't need to explain it to you. And I'm looking at him, and I ask, well, why you don't need to explain it to me? Because I'm black? Really? Like, how would I know why he's so awful, right? But that is the assumption, that if I'm black, I must be Democrat. If I'm black, I must think um, along the lines of how others have told me I need to think and that I cannot be an individual. Um, they have been sorely mistaken, and I have taken it as my great pleasure to correct them when they think I'm a sheep or when they think I'm not allowed to, uh, to, to have my own thoughts. Well, I, I want to mention this because two days ago, Walter E. Williams passed away. And yes. he was one of the great conservative thinkers out there uh, behind uh, Thomas Sowell. As a matter of fact, the two of them were great friends. And yeah. as, I was, as I was reading about him, um, I was wondering how much someone like him and someone like Thomas Sowell uh, gave you the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say courage, but the wherewithal to understand what is happening in the black community and, of course, America uh, with the progressive democratic movement. Oh, yeah. I have several of um, Thomas Sowell's books, for example, um, on my, um, in my bookcase right now, um, <laughs> just several of them. Uh, I've read um, Mr. Williams, Walter Williams' uh, articles um, for a very long time. I mean, you know, in this particular election, uh, we had 30 black Republicans running for the House of Representatives. That has never happened. And every one of us sharp as a tack, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, we are the exceptional black people um, out here in the world thinking for ourselves and, um, and, and, and very sharp. And that's the thing that you would notice when you're talking to a black person who is conservative and who is a Republican is that we know uh, who we are and we know, and, and we know why we feel the way we feel about this country and we're able to articulate it well because you cannot be black conservative, appreciate this president at all and not have thick skin. You got to grow thick skin real quick because no one, I mean, the heat is going to come. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, but when you look at people like, you know, Walter uh, Williams and Thomas Sowell and others, uh, it, um, you know, it encourages us that we're not alone because, um, you know, uh, the other side, black people included, they are relentless and they're ruthless when they find out that you are not a part of the herd and that you think for yourself. No, he's a very, very amazing man. And um, I found out about his passing away because my co-host, C.S. Bennett, um, who's actually home trying to deal with his health issues, so he's not with us today. So, Curtis, I'll first go out to you. Um, But, you know, I hear from him, I hear from other friends, that they've lost family members, that people don't understand that you are an individual and you can think independent. And I, I don't understand that myself uh, because I'm a woman. I'm supposed to vote Democrat. I hear all the time. And then when they find out how conservative I, I am, they go, oops, you know, I'm still waiting to see my car get trashed because I've got the bumper sticker on there with Trump waving saying, making liberals cry since 2016. You know, it, it, it is a, 
I don't know. I guess it's the Democrats that are doing the herd thing. You have to think like them and no one else. Yeah, exactly, right? It's called slavery. And I am not a slave. My people are free, and I will walk as a free person. Which then begs me to differ, uh, ask the question, um, if Colin Kaepernick is still being endorsed by Nike, why isn't he protesting them for the slave labor that goes into their products? That's a good These question, isn't it? Care. These people don't care. Even now, I mean, I was the first uh, black person to ever run for Congress in uh, Montgomery County. Montgomery County, uh, a Buxus, Philadelphia. It is the second wealthiest county in the state of Pennsylvania. And I'm the first black person to ever run. And now I am not old enough to be the first black person doing anything. And yet I am. And, um, and yet uh, uh, I contacted a little bit over 30 black pastors, and only one of them would allow me to come in and talk and introduce myself to his um, congregation. The others were like, no, hell no, um, and, and fleeing because they're afraid um, in part. I mean, I, I've had some tell me that they don't want the retribution that is going to come if they allow me to come into their church. And now what is it that I'm offering? Am I offering you know, draconian measures, is that what I'm talking about and bringing into the black community? Or am I talking about things that will, um, you know, benefit us as a people um, and as a nation? Um, uh, You know, and so it's just very unfortunate that that's the world in which we're living in. Um, And even today when I see people with the whole Black Lives Matter, you know, paraphernalia on, I'm asking, did you vote for me? And when I find out that they didn't, then I don't want to, you know, whatever you're talking about from that point on, I don't care. If you cannot vote for me or at least give me an audience and talk to me um, just because I'm not who you say that I should be, um, then black lives don't really matter to you. That's, that's the whole problem. They see a cause and they think they're righteous without looking into what the actual cause is. You know, you follow the herd. Basically, is what it is. Once again, follow the herd. Yeah, and that's exactly what I experienced. You know, you you throw this election in with the COVID pandemic, and um, I'm wondering how much they used that to influence the voting. Uh, With the mail-in ballot, you you see the, the treachery there alone, but, you know, people think, oh, my goodness, I don't want to get sick. So if the government tells me this is the best way to go and vote, you know, it doesn't matter if it's not legal. It doesn't matter if it breaks every rule in the book. But the government said it's okay, so I, I, I'm going to do that. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's a really sad commentary on where we are as a nation. Um, I had one black person actually say to me, you know, you Republicans, y'all care so much about your freedom, always talking about your freedoms. And I thought that. Again, just a very sad commentary, seeing that she's black and her father is a black American. Um, and so, you know, freedom should be very important to her as well as a black person. And yet, you know, for us to be so removed from our own personal and national history, um, it's a very sad commentary. And yet the same individual, you know, if you talk to her about being woke or, you know, Black Lives Matter, this or that, you know, she could speak fluently um, that particular language. But when you talk about, you know, why freedom is important and why, you know, 
Republicans, for example, or at least conservatives, because I'm not, I haven't even fully bought into the whole Republican side of things, right? There's a lot of work that needs to be done with the Republican Party, and we see a lot of those um, opportunities as not many are standing up and supporting President Trump at this time. Um, So we have a lot of work within our own party. But, you know, but getting back to this concept of freedom and understanding our history, um, you know, I think it's just a very sad commentary of where we find ourselves. Our nation has been dumbed down. Um, We're very emotional people. Um, And so they can, you know, so they can show a headline about, you know, hospital beds or, you know, uh, um, at at, uh, capacity and hospitals, but they don't make a distinction between emergency rooms and um, and the hospital beds and, 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 and actually being admitted into the hospital. They make no distinctions between COVID versus the flu. All of a sudden, no one has the flu any longer, right? Uh, no one's dying of car accidents. No one's dying of heart attacks any longer. It's only COVID. Everybody's dying solely from COVID. Um, if you listen to the headlines, if you read the headlines and you listen to what the pundits are telling us. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate, too, because for every person that dies from alleged COVID, you know, a hospital gets X amount of dollars. So the more bodies they can count, the more money that hospital gets. And that should not be. I, I, why is the government paying for someone dying? And the more control they can exercise over our lives, exactly. the more dependent exactly. they can make us all to be. Yeah, well, now, let's say that you've made it into Congress now, and unfortunately, Joe Biden and Queen Camilla are now the administration. You know, we know we're going to see taxes increase. We know we're going to see jobs going back overseas. And somewhere along the way, we're going to hear that scream for the $15 minimum wage how would you rally your fellow members in Congress to combat this possible incoming administration? You know, I think, um, I think we have to recognize just how far we've fallen as a country um, in educating the people. Um, you know, one of the, the benefits of going through issues like we are now, even with how the voting is um, has taken place, is that people are forced, um, you know, sometimes against their, their own better judgment to understand how the Constitution works. How, you know, and you explained it earlier that the media doesn't get to call it and that, you know, that there's a process got to go through. They let you have to be certain. Both have to be certified. Well, who certifies it? Is it the governor and the state? Um, and the Secretary of State, of State, or is it like in um, Pennsylvania, the uh, the legislature, legislators here, right? Um, but you know, but precedent has that the governor and the Secretary of State get to certify our votes, and now people are realizing, oh, that's not our constitution. Our constitution says the legislators actually have to um, uh, certify these votes. So let's press upon them to do their job and stop abdicating their, their, their role and responsibility to someone else, right? And so people are learning uh, how the process works, and as a result of that increased knowledge, they are finding ways to get involved um, and, not, and not just abdicating our freedom to, you know, to, to select people, but getting involved in the process, um, you know, I mean, definitely having such a platform 
of being, you know, uh, uh, in Congress would allow me to be able to, you know, to put um, to put a microphone to amplify that message even more of uh, helping people to understand what is at stake and what it is that they need to do to make sure that our representatives are uh, representing our nation the way we want to, right? It's one thing to come out and talk about, you know, and, you know, um, Democrats, they're like the best with with um, naming, with vocabulary. Uh, it, it, it escapes me now. One of the oh, um, one of the one of the initiatives Biden will will bring uh, with his administration. He's already told us, and that is abolishing the suburbs. Now, of course, he doesn't call it abolishing the suburbs. He calls it affirmatively furthering fair housing. And that sounds really nice. I mean, who doesn't want to um, affirmatively further fair housing? Um, but when you begin to read beyond that, beyond the the title, you begin to see how much power and control that we are now abdicating from the local level up to the federal level into the hands of bureaucrats, where we will have no real say. Um, and what it is that they decide to do. So me being in Congress will simply give me a larger uh, microphone to amplify that message and help people to understand what is really at stake and the policies that will be handed down. That's an important role, getting a hold of that microphone, you know, and getting a good, powerful, conservative voice out there. You know, I, I in my own neighborhood, I keep on hearing they talk about sustainability, and I just want to hit my head against the wall. All you mean is you want to shove us into these little tiny communities that are probably end up being apartment complexes, or they'll call them duplexes or something else, but corral us into a small area. So footprint-wise, it'd be pretty small, and you'd have a ton of people in that small area, whereas in the suburban area, you're mixed next door neighbor maybe half an acre or an acre away or even further you know and you are self-reliant you don't rely on government but in the sustainability neighborhoods you'll need to rely on government and they will control your emotions because they'll say oh this is a no car zone you can only walk or bike they'll come up with all these harebrained schemes to control the population in a small narrow area that's what they're looking for well, you seem to understand it perfectly. <laughs> and that's exactly what uh, Biden's Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Act will do. It will, um, it will uh, extend the city into the suburbs. Uh, it will make the city a satellite um, or the, 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 the uh, suburbs a satellite um, to the city itself. And, the, and it will just expand that. And it will control and determine um, you know, what what your community looks like. And so every time I would go into a new community and here, like I said, this is the second wealthiest county in the state of Pennsylvania, Montgomery County is, and they have some very manicured and very beautiful uh, communities. And I will walk around and begin to show them, you guys really love your autonomy to create the kind of oasis in your community that you want. Well, guess what? <laughs> that will quickly go to the wayside. I don't know if the president amplified that message enough, um, you know, in light of Black Lives Matter and everything else that we were contending with during the election cycle. But, you know, it surely will become something that everyone will have to bear. 
Well, you know, there's also another purpose to them doing this sustainability movement and putting us into urban areas with this affordable housing uh, thing. Um, my county council had passed something with the uh, sales tax where they're going to put a sidewalk down the street I live on. And I'm going, um, no one ever walks up and down this side of the street. I mean, if you find someone once a month, that's a lot. I don't go, why are you getting sidewalk? Oh, well, it's going to go from the school zone down. And I said, I'm a mile away from the school. Who's going to be walking down the side of the street? And and I, <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more it meant that they're going to try to turn it into a sustainable neighborhood of walking to whatever you go, be it the store, the church, or the restaurant. Uh, but then it's over property rights. Removing your ability to own property. And that is one of the founding principles of our nation. The ability of an individual to own and control property. But they'll call it eminent domain. So they'll take the property from me to make a sidewalk that is not necessary. Only to create Uh a sustainable neighborhood. So there's always a purpose to what they're doing. If you cannot own private property... You have no control of your own wealth. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and we're already living through that because even if you paid your house off completely, if you don't pay those property taxes, you don't really own that house, and they will come and take it from you, right? So we, so we've, so we have already been asleep at the wheel long enough, and, um, and these are just the, the next step. If we don't wake up, these are just the next step and concluding their ability to effectively, um, you know, diminish, diminish our um, constitution. All right. Now, what's the next stage you expect? You said the Supreme Court is going to be hearing your case very shortly? Not my case. I'm not on this particular case with uh, Congressman Mike Kelly, Sean Parnell, and several others. Um, but that particular case, uh, however, the, the, uh, Cong- the Supreme Court rules will have a direct impact on my uh, election or on my, yeah, on my election. Um, But then also, you know, just the president continuing to put forward, he said he has more uh, conclusive evidence as we saw with the, with the video showing, you know, these, um, I mean, like that's huge. Everyone should be talking about it. That's more evidence watching these Democrats pull out what appears to be suitcases filled with ballots and immediately processing it. And then you see this big spike of 23,000-plus ballots, you know, during, during that particular time that they stayed when, after they told everyone else to go home. I mean, like, that's damning evidence, right? And it's much more evidence than we've ever received when they were impeaching the president over a, over, um, a Ukraine call, uh, certainly more evidence than the four years um, that they dragged us through the mud with the Russian hoax. It was, you know, like that's certainly more evidence than anything that they have provided us uh, with um, in their pursuit to destroy this president. Um, so you would think everyone would be like, whoa, let's just pause all this certifying and hold the horses here. Um, but they're not. And I believe, again, we have to not wait for Democrats to affirm us. We have to know what it is that our eyes are already telling us. 
our eyes are telling us that there was theft in this election, and specifically in that Georgia one um, in Fulton County, right? So we got to stop waiting for someone to tell us who they are um, and, um, and what it is that our eyes are already telling us. Well, it also seems like there's a huge scandal brewing now out in Nevada with illegal aliens voting, busloads of them being brought in to vote, Uh, other individuals using temporary RV parks and casinos as home addresses to register to vote. That's another opening one that's coming up in Nevada, so it's very a possibility we may be able to take back Nevada. But, you know, this is another thing, you know, phony voter registration that we've allowed it with these motor voter laws. You know, you walk into the DMV, you get yourself a driver's license, you're automatically offered a chance to register to vote without determining whether or not you are an American citizen. That's a huge problem. It is a huge problem. We will see. We will see if the American people have the stomach to do what, what is necessary to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And now, while all this is breaking and Trump is going through his lawsuits, we have a new investigation against the White House over an alleged bribery scheme that may or may not have been attempted for pardons, for presidential pardons. You know, yeah, I know, right? To... I, mean, I mean, oh, my goodness, you should just shove it down their throat. I mean, well, I mean, we didn't stop playing by the rules here, and we need to just start calling these people out. Yeah, you know, so someone starts a rumor that this may or may not have happened. They don't have any specific individuals. They don't even link President Trump's name nor his staff to any of this. But there's an alleged allegation, and now we have an FBI and DOJ investigation on alleged no, rumors. So they want to investigate the fraud. Anything so, else? Anything so, else but that? No, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's very daunting what it is that we're up against, but we did not get here overnight, and we're not going to claw, claw our, our way out of this overnight as well. We must become unrelenting. We must not get weary. We must continue to fight, and we must demand justice. If they can um, start investigating the president again over an allegation, we should demand that they do more of an take a more of a rigorous investigative role over this past election. Yes, we absolutely do a major overhaul, and then state by state, each state should start looking at how they handle the elections. Now, I know we had no problems—I shouldn't say no problems, but very minimal problems here in South Carolina. Uh, but then again, we are a red state, and I guess they figured they're not even worth bothering with. If we can flip the state, we're going to go after them, which they're doing. Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia. These six states, they figured they could get their toe in there with just enough electoral votes to claim the election. And uh, we've got to fight back. And if there's anyone yeah. out there that has seen something, knows something, Say something. You know, as you said, these people are putting their necks on the line by coming forward. They're swearing out a legal affidavit, which means if they make the tiniest little mistake on that affidavit, they're going to General Flynn them. They're going to turn around and (laughs) arrest them and say, you lied. You perjured yourself. Oh, yeah. 
they'll Trust find them. believe they're going to do that. Yeah, just unbelievable that they would actually try to do that. So, you know, there's a lot of key takeaways we've got coming from these elections, and there is a chance you will become the congresswoman from the 4th District in Pennsylvania. Now, there's one other thing that's going on in the background here at the same time. The census, um, it's going to be completed very, very shortly. Uh, right now, they're in court trying to decide whether or not illegal aliens are going to be are going to be counted. Uh if they are discarded, that's going to change district lines, isn't it? It's going to change the makeup of the House, and I think some blue seats are going to disappear. Well, that would be nice. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Right now, all of my attention and focus is on this election um, and what is in front of us with that. Yeah, and it's not over until we get the votes coming out of the Electoral College, and then they are submitted to Congress, and then Congress certifies those votes. So Congress actually has the last word, don't they? Uh, or, or the Supreme Court. So we will see. All right, because now I understand Congressman Mo Brooks has put together a proposal that the Congress may choose to discard these states that are uncertain states. That'd be interesting, too. It ends up being, per the Constitution, the House decides the election. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, obviously I'm hearing all kinds of, you know, um, scenarios that could play out. Um, Right now we need to make sure that people remain um, vigilant and um, unrelenting and calling uh, their representatives and making sure that their voices are heard. There's a huge amen to that one. Um, I don't know if you need to run, but we've got only about 10 minutes left in the segment. Um, are there any other issues you want to bring up before our audience that I'm not covering? Uh, no, that's mainly it. And I do have to go. I have another call coming in, but I am so very grateful for the opportunity to be able to come and spend so much time with you and your audience. Thank you so much. It is our pleasure. And people can go to your name which is kathybarnett.com. It will also take you kathyforcongress.com and check out and give you support and love. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. They can also check out my book. Here's my other call. They can check out my book at uh, by going to Amazon, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, Being Black and Conservative in America. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, Kathy Barnett, uh, check her out and give her support. She may just become... And my prayers are going with her, the congresswoman from the 4th District in Pennsylvania. Um, One small comment about Walter Edward Williams, who passed away two days ago. Um, These are two quotes that Curtis sent me, so I, I, I do believe he wants me to read them. One of them, and this is really powerful, he states, how does something immoral, when done privately, becomes moral when it is done collectively. Furthermore, does legally establishing morality, slavery was legal, apartheid is legal, Stalinist, Nazi, and Maoist purges were legal. Clearly, the fact of legality does not justify these crimes. Legality alone cannot be the talisman of moral people. So simply Simply because they say it's legal does not make it moral. 
And it, it's wonderful. Oh, and this one I also love that he sent me. Um, he puts a question out. He says to someone, let me offer you my definition of social justice. I keep what I earn and you keep what you earn. Do you disagree? Well, then tell me how much of what I earn belongs to you and why. This is Walter Edward Williams. And you should check out his website. It's still up and active. And uh, he addresses a lot of issues. And one of the things he was against, which I have always been against, the minimum wage. And what people don't understand is that it hurts low-skilled workers the worst because then they get pushed out of the market. Now, if you notice, they've been pushing for this $15 minimum wage at places like Taco Bell, a McDonald's, Burger King. And every single place they instituted the $15 minimum wage, the number of people employed in the establishments drops, drops drastically, and in its place you see kiosks. We're seeing this in grocery stores. You scan your own groceries. You know, the higher the minimum wage goes, the more the business owner is going to look for ways to cut costs because now they've got to make up that extra money that they're paying out to the employee and they're losing in profits. So they'll find other ways in which to do that. And in today's day and age, that's automation. You got to talk into the mic. In the hospital also, doctor's office where you check in at the office. You got to talk into the microphone, Yanni. I said in the hospital or the doctor's office, you also see the kiosk. Yeah, you go into a lot of these doctor offices. And instead of going up to the counter where you see the, the clerk behind the counter who normally makes your appointment, checks, make sure you got the, your insurance cards, you're in the system, you're checked in. No, you go up to a kiosk, you slide in your driver's license, you slide in your insurance cards, you click a bunch of buttons, you sit down and wait, and then eventually the technician or the nurse or whoever it is comes out, fetches you, puts you in a room, and walks away. You know, it, most of this is now done by automation. The higher the minimum wage, low-skilled workers lose their jobs. Unless you are, have a highly technical skill that you become invaluable, and yet sooner or later as technology advances, again, your job will start to disappear. You know, it, it, they, they can shoot themselves in the foot by doing some of these social justice programs. And, you know, one of the things um, he has is the overemphasis, I can't say the word. I can't say the word. All right. The push on certain agendas and the welfare state, which is everyone goes, hey, you know, you don't have to work anymore. You just, you you get unemployment, you get Section 8 housing, you get free Medicaid, food stamps. Um, welfare, you don't have to work anymore, just live off the government, which we're seeing a lot of that with this pandemic, with the additional unemployment benefits being extended over and over and over and over. It causes the breakdown of the black family, of any minority family. It causes a complete breakdown because now the father figure doesn't have to be there to help support the family. So boom, he's going, hey, I'm not going to share my benefits with you. I'm, I'm taking off on my own, honey. And the more kids you have, the more money you get from the state. So now the family unit is broken apart. 
And what happens when there isn't a stable mother and father in the house? Then you see an increased rise of domestic abuse, drug abuse, uh, kids that don't graduate, don't go on to good-paying jobs or college. Now, you lower that child's ability or maybe expectation, I should say, not ability, because they have the ability. It's the expectation to advance in life beyond the welfare state. Then you have generational welfare. People stuck forever in generational welfare. Well, that's my rant for right now. Anyway, I want to let you know, I came across something someone sent me up on Facebook. It's a video, and unfortunately I can't play the video, but I can play the audio part of the video. And um, every time I played this, I started laughing, and I was laughing so hard I almost peed in my pants. And then I took the laptop over to my mom, my 88-year-old stroke victim mother who stole my Archie bunker chair, and I played the video for her. But she's hard of hearing. She didn't have any hearing aids in. So she puts her hearing aids in, and she still had a hard time hearing this. So I turned around and explained to her what was going on the screen. And then I played it again for her. And then she started laughing. And I was afraid she was going to pee in my Archie Bunker chair. So I did not replay it. (laughs) But this is a young lady. I'll only give her first name. Her name is Emily. And to give you an idea, she was in the grocery store. And she was in a checkout line. And I will let you explain what happened to her next. Because if you listen carefully, I know you're going to start laughing your tush off. Here we go, and here's Emily. Y'all, I'm a middle-aged woman, and up until today, I have managed to not ever have to do a rant video on Facebook, but apparently today is my day. Um, Just left the grocery store, and as we all know, the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever we're calling it this week, has driven people completely insane. And the woman in line in front of me, just apropos of nothing, just starts shrieking at the poor little guy ringing her up that he has just touched his face and that he therefore must wash his hands. Just shrieking this to the top of her lungs, so I'm assuming she surely to God must be the head of the CDC because she says it was such conviction. And by the way, lady, it's you're not supposed to touch your face. Doesn't really matter so much if he touches his. Um, I digress. The little guy says, I can't wash my hands right now. She says, I'll wait. Great. Well, I'll wait, I guess, lady. He says, I have hand sanitizer. So he takes like a quarter of a little squirt, does his little thing on his hands for about a quarter of a second, which basically would have just served to incite a riot and maybe kill off two small, weak germs, to which the head of the CDC in her kitten-covered lab coat nods and fervently agrees that he's, you know, saved the universe with that. He kind of refrains from rolling his eyes, which I think makes him a saint. And then she goes on (laughs) to whip out her credit card and use the debit pad that every finger-licking, booger-picking, double-digit IQ idiot has touched all day long after going to the bathroom and not washing their hands. And then she just walks on out with her groceries completely oblivious to the fact that everyone who handled those groceries prior to her getting them has left their little touch and trace of germs all over them that going down the conveyor belt they probably picked up chicken juice and everything else but thank god that kid used that quarter of a squirt of purell she has saved the day and kept us all safe from the coronavirus y'all 
it doesn't matter what we do. There's so many stupid people in this world. We're never going to survive anyway. So touch your face. Just, just touch it. Just touch it. It's all that's left. <laughs> God bless her. All those keys that you punch. Just God. God bless her. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta stop this. Okay. Oh man, uh, yeah, you, you gotta love her. You gotta love her. <laughs> Nose picking, finger licking. <laughs> you think about that, you know. I, I've said this time and time and time again. You know, it is safer to go out to the voting places, except this last election, because uh, <laughs> they screwed it up so badly. But it was safer to go and vote because they used ultra-sanitary conditions. I mean, uh, here they used uh, a Q-tip to touch the keypad, so your finger didn't touch the keypad. But you go into the grocery store, everyone is touching everything. And how many times you pick something up that someone picked up 10 or 12 times before? You know, how many boogers are all over every single object that is in the grocery store? And even if you were wearing rubber gloves, you're still transferring those very same germs from what you're touching with those gloves on to whatever's in your cart. And then when you get home, those very same germs are still on the objects as you unpack them onto your kitchen counter. You think about that. There's, there's really no escaping this. So, you know, it, it, the way she just, just yeah. And so this woman is so proud. The guy puts like a little quarter squirt on his hands, rubs his two hands together, kills all of two germs. <laughs> and she saved the day from the coronavirus. She saved the rest of the world. Meanwhile, she's shrieking and all over the place. Yes, and she's shrieking. I'm sure the, the bodily fluids flowing out of her mouth. All the counters. Say it. Don't spray it, lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it, it, it just he, as you said, well, you just can't fix stupid. Emily said it right. <laughs> can't fix stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, dear Lord, you know, save us from idiots. But anyway. Uh, we're waiting for our next guest to call in, and I'm afraid I may have to call out to her. Uh, so, um, oh, good Lord. Okay, I'm waiting. For, I'll give her like another minute or two. Otherwise, um, we've got another Mona Fishman here that we could play. Uh, well, why don't we just do an ad for her? <laughs> <laughs> we don't pay us, but we'll do it anyway. Box sucks. <laughs> That's only my opinion, folks. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, uh, somehow or other, I, when I turned the TV on, when I got up this it morning, our our TV seems to go default to Fox News. And it's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you guys. I'm, I'm, where's Newsmax? Where's what, memory. One American News. On. Yeah, One American News, Newsmax. Uh, turn off Fox. <laughs> the only time I like Fox is if I got Tucker Carlson. You know who um, they rated for Newsmax right now? Who's the other three in oh, I the ratings? I didn't see that. I saw that yesterday, and I went, boy, okay, that's not bad, but who are the Fox used to be one, but I doubt it now. Fox lost a huge, they lost millions well, not of only viewers. Them, they lost employees that went over to Fox, I mean, uh, Newsmax. Yeah, you, you, get, you see a lot of former Fox 
uh, reporters that were not getting very much airtime. Greg Kelly. Well, um, she did a four o'clock in the morning. She's on now as Who? an anchor uh, that uh, has a children. She had a, you know, just a bit in four o'clock slot in Fox. Now she's got an anchor. Mm. All right. Well, I know Melanie Israel. She only had a few minutes with us, so it's possible she, for whatever reason she may have gotten sidetracked or or whatever. Um, I don't know if I can send her a text, which I'll try to do. I really hate this cell phone. I really hate this cell phone I have with a passion. Ah, man. But uh, we'll see if we can send her a text to get her to call in. Uh, All right. So anyway, um, who else, Yanni? Who else? That you saw that went over to Newsmax from Fox. Well, well, you, you know, Greg Kelly, but he was already also on CNN at one time. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a young guy. I can't, I can't recall his name. He did a, uh, the uh, stocks uh, over at Fox. Uh, he came over. All right. Anyone else? I'm not offhand. No, no, I don't. All right, well, watch it enough. I mean, well, that's a good segue anyway into the next song I want. Well, I mean, you got to say, Dick Morrison, Spitz over and over from these guys. Yeah. The contributors. There's a lot of them. A lot of contributors have gone on over. All right, well, while I'm trying to reach our next guest, that's a little bit more Mona Fishman. And this is her song, Fake News. If we can get this to play, hit the right button, Annie. Here we go.
All right. That was Mona Fishman, Mainstream Media. And we're back. We also have our next guest in on the line. She's with the Heritage Foundation. Welcome aboard, Melanie Israel. Good afternoon, Melanie, and how are you today? Oh, I forgot to unmute her. Oh, jeez, I'm I'm batting a thousand here. All right, I'm sorry about that, Melanie. Working too many different things at the same time. <laughs> I know the feeling. Thank you so much for having me here today. <laughs> oh, it is our pleasure, our pleasure. You know, you wrote a recent article up on heritage that is near and dear to my heart. And when Tom gave me the information about you coming on the show today, I had to crack up because. Um, my mom's church was having one of these pro-life uh, quiet protests. Uh, they do it like once a month, and they just sit there qu- very quietly with signs sh- with the pro-life statement on it. They're not out there shouting, ranting with speakers or anything, but they hit a major intersection and wave at cars and get the cars to honk you know, their support or whatever. Um, and I went there with her was just last month and I said well I can't go without a sign so I made some signs and I also made a t-shirt and I walked up and down wearing this t-shirt and it said I thank God my mom chose life how do you like that that is just fantastic you know it's that that public witness Um, it doesn't have to be anything fancy but you know just letting people know that the the pro-life movement is here and and here to stay it's such a powerful witness yeah i i just don't understand why women are turning around and saying you know i don't want the child because it's too much of a burden this or that's the wrong gender the wrong race whatever the reason is they use to take this human life and don't stop to think what if their mother had done that to them they would not be here to make the choice they're making You know, a a lot of the logic that we see over on the the pro-abortion side just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, now the article I'm talking about, it's titled Up on Heritage, Don't Let the Abortion Lobby Hijack, quote, Women's Issues, unquote. And that's what they've been doing. They they call it a woman's issue, uh, a reproductive issue. Uh, If anything else, it's anti-feminine. It's anti-woman. The, this pro-choice stance, and you explain it in the article and how it's been creeping into our language, our legislation, and even global initiatives. Right, right. You know, we, we see this pop up all over the place, whether it's various um, initiatives at the United Nations or, um, you know, projects and programs that are run even within the the U.S. government, when you get these pro-abortion actors in charge calling the shots, these terms like sexual and reproductive health, gender equality, um, women's empowerment, those all might seem at face value like a pretty innocuous term or something that Um, You know, everybody can get behind. There's nothing controversial about this. But when you really start to dig into what the goals are of some of these initiatives and you see um, how much of an emphasis is placed on abortion, it's very troubling. Um, And it's really even more troubling when they turn around and basically say that you cannot be pro-woman unless you are also pro-abortion. 
Um, and uh, of course, we believe that the, the opposite is true, that abortion is profoundly anti-woman in, in so many ways. And so um, one of the, the goals of this piece was to really highlight to people the different ways that the pro-abortion left tries to sneak the abortion issue in to other projects and initiatives and how important it is that policymakers be on the lookout for that and push back. Yeah, even like uh, Senate appropriations for foreign aid, it gets slipped in, you know, and, and unless you're paying really good attention, they use words that sound so nice, so sweet. You know, how neutral is that? You know, gender equality, who doesn't want gender equality? But what they really mean is we want to have this pro-choice. And in some cases, it's not even a choice. The woman doesn't have a choice. Can we say China? Um, mm-hmm. It's done in such a sugar-coated way that it's like, oh, you, you really are anti-woman because you, you don't understand what we're trying to do here. I think we do. Right. And, you know, what's important to remember about the pro-abortion movement is um, this term intersectional. It, it's one of their, their favorite moves and really favorite words and really not just um, with the abortion issue, but with a whole lot of other issues on the left. And, and by intersectional, intersectional, I mean that they think abortion is connected to virtually every issue under the sun. You name it, they can tie it back to abortion in some way, whether it's workforce participation, comprehensive health care, economic empowerment. Um, in all of those different areas, they believe that abortion is somehow a key part of that and that abortion is a human right, that abortion is an absolute necessity for women to be able to fully participate in any and every aspect of society. And so that's why you have to be so careful in these various programs and initiatives, um, particularly those run by the U.S. government, because promoting workforce participation for women, okay, that's great. Um, But when they're able to tie in things like abortion access to something like that, then we run into problems. And what's more concerning is that people might be familiar with some of these various prohibitions that we have in United States law that has to do with prohibiting direct funding for abortion. Um, Domestically, it's known as the Hyde Amendment. Internationally, it's known as the Helms Amendment. And, And there are other, we call them policy writers, that are attached to appropriation bills that curtail that to a certain extent. But what we have to remember is that direct funding of abortion, while it's an issue that we should address, is not the only way that the pro-abortion left can try to get their way. There are other, um, for lack of a better term, soft ways that the left can use to promote abortion, whether um, you know, it, it's pressuring other countries to change their abortion laws, whether it's discriminating against pro-life organizations that are trying to get um, government funding to participate in various initiatives. There's all kinds of more subtle ways that the pro-abortion left 
can um, try to advance their agenda. And so we want to be sure that any time the U.S. government is establishing new programs or initiatives, that they are very careful in including explicit, clear language to say that abortion can have no part in these initiatives, not just with direct funding. You know, it, 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 it makes the woman feel guilty if she ends up pregnant and is actually thinking about keeping the child. It's like, oh, wait a minute, you know, your career isn't a priority. Uh, oh, you're an attorney and you have to go to court. And what's the judge going to think of you as you stand up before the bench with a baby bump? Or they don't even call it that, or I would, would. But, you know, they make you feel as if you're doing something wrong for the rest of society um, by willing to protect that life and keep that life. You know, this is, this is where it's so critical that really the other side of the, the pro-life movement steps up because, of course, law and public policy are very, very important aspects of the pro-life movement. But in culture more broadly, it's our communities being able to step up and help women who are facing a challenging or unplanned pregnancy in creating that culture of life, not just pro-life laws. It doesn't end there. Um, it, it's that culture of life of making sure that we are welcoming to new life, that we are stepping in to help women when they make that brave decision. Um, it, it, it's such a huge key component to the pro-life movement more broadly. Absolutely. And what no one else really talks about, very few people discuss, is what the physical and mental toll on these women that go under the abortions, the increase of alcohol and uh, drug abuse, suicide, a divorce. You know, there is a physical toll also to the breakdown of the reproductive organs, you know, because of the abortion. I mean, you're, you're ripping out cells. You're destroying tissue. Not it's, it's not just the baby; it's also the woman's uterus. It's so critical that women have informed consent when they're making these huge decisions. And one of the things that the pro-abortion left does so often is really minimize what a huge decision it is that has ramifications down the line that a woman might not even be thinking about at the time that she is making that choice. And so that's why it's so, so important that many pro-life states across the country have been passing various informed consent requirements, things like letting a woman see an ultrasound image of her baby um, before she decides to have an abortion, letting her know about things like the abortion pill reversal process. If she changes her mind um, halfway through that process, there, there are so many ways that states have been able to step up and give women more information um, as they're making those choices. And word is finally getting out there. And with the, uh, the pro-life marches that we've had on D.C. with President Trump attending this last one, it also sends the nation a good, powerful, and loving message. And we saw what happened with the Sandman, uh, that poor kid, you know, the attack they put on him, and boy, did that backfire big time. But, you know, we have to be willing to have the courage to stand up for our convictions and to help protect the innocent life. 
Exactly. They they don't have a voice to be able to speak for themselves. And so the, the pro-life movement has to step up and do that for them, because if we don't, who will? Well, you know, I want to leave this with a very happy note with you, because you also had another article up there uh, titled, Grieving Parents Deserve Our Sympathy and Our Help. Well, congratulations on the birth of your newest child, and my heart goes out to you for the other one that would have been a year old this past October. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Um, you know, for for listeners who might not know, this um, uh, past month was Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, um, and that's something that so many Americans throughout the country um, have been through. It can be a very lonely road, um, but it, it's been really powerful hearing from from other people who have walked that road um and you know just to be able to know that there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel even though it might not seem like it when you're in the thick of it and so um really just encourage everyone uh pregnancy and infant loss awareness month will happen every year um, in the month of october and so that's another way that people can look for opportunities to affirm um, just the value and the inherent dignity of every human life, even those that were lost too soon. Yeah, I, I was very happy to see that, you know, people were willing to step up and help you through the period that you were going with. Because, you know, this is a child that you loved. It may not have been fully born, but it's still your child. And like any parent, you want to make sure that everything is done the right way. Um including the assistance with the burial of the baby. Absolutely, absolutely. Just recognizing, again, the dignity of every human person, even those um, who, you know, obviously we we never had a chance to to rock and to hold and and to watch grow up. It it can be a very lonely road to walk, but, um, you know, ironically, it's something very common that many people have experienced and gone through, and the more people are able to to talk about it, the less lonely it really seems. Well, you're going to have a little angel to greet you one day, along with your other two children in heaven. Just know that there's a little angel up there waiting. Absolutely. Uh, Now I'm starting to cry. (laughs) I'm starting to cry. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it, it, the work that you do with Heritage is very important, and I'm so glad that you're there doing it. And especially with the experiences you've had, you've come from a very unique perspective. And how many other families are you going to be able to help by just your the words that you write on paper? Well, we hope that anybody who's interested in these issues can go and check out our work. Um, shameless plug, heritage.org. Um, we've got, um, it, in addition to, to following the life issue, we um, focus on a whole host of things domestically and internationally. But um, you can find my work there, heritage.org, on many, many different issues related to pro-life policy. Well, Melanie, thank you, and God bless you for the hard work you do. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, our pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, that was uh, Melanie. Take care. Melanie Irish, uh, check her out at heritage.org. There's a link up on the show page. Uh, Heritage sends us so many fantastic people every week, and uh, I I love talking with them. They're so well-rounded and knowledgeable, and they do really great work over at Heritage. 
So check it out, heritage.org. Um, we're down to our last four and a half minutes. Um, we do have some guests already booked for next week. One of them is Dr. Tom Hartman. Um, as a matter of fact, I had gotten a message from his agent, and he was supposed to get back to me with someone else. Uh, I, I forget who I booked last night. You know, you do too many things all at the same time, and you screw yourself up. Anyway, um, okay, let's see. We got, okay. Um, what a doctor. Oh, uh, Dr. Cyril. Uh, Dr. Cyril was a uh, medical examiner, and he's got a new book out about his life and death, uh, talking about his case history. So it uh, looks like Dr. Bruce Hartman and Dr. Cyril. Um, so we have two guests already lined up for next week. But that's all we got for today. I want to thank those that hung out with me as the beginning of the show was completely messed up. I apologize. For some reason, my computer changed my settings on me. There's there's a liberal troll inside my computer. So uh, I'm going to just say same bat time, same bat station next week. Let me pull up our closing show. Uh, where the heck did it go? Oh, there it goes. All right. So wait a minute. That's not the song I want. Oh, Annie, you can really. Oh, there we go. We got it. Gary Piccarella, Save America. So until then, I say... Good night and God bless.